Hey, this is Devin Michael with the Higher Quality Podcast. Super excited to be interviewing you. So could you introduce yourself, your role in the company that you work at? My name is Nicole Ukama. I am the Vice President of Talent Strategy Interim, and I manage our talent development, our talent management, and in the interim, I lead our talent acquisition teams. I work for CareSource, which is a managed care organization that's headquartered in Dayton, Ohio. What is top of mind for you as a talent leader at your organization? Internal mobility, helping our employees move through the organization, not just promotion, but having lateral opportunities to be exposed and grow their own career. And I think that it's important for us as an organization to know our talent so that we can support any moves and utilization so that they can grow within our organization. What is something you wish you knew about leading talent that you didn't know when you first started? Something I wish I had have known when I first started was that there's not necessarily a right or wrong answer. It's about doing your best and being as thoughtful and communicating. I spent a lot of years trying to do the right thing, and I've learned that there's not necessarily a right or a wrong. It's the best, thoughtfully. We made it to the last question, and this one's a fun one. What is the worst question you've ever been asked in an interview? I was in an interview once, and someone asked if the interviewee was pregnant. And they were obviously pregnant, but it's an illegal question to ask. And it threw the interviewee off. Any questions that are personal about your children, your spouse, your personal life are bad questions. What's up, everyone? This is Devin Michael, co-founder of Qualify and your host here on the Higher Quality Podcast. I'm joined by Nicole Ukama, who you just heard on the interview prior at the beginning of the episode. I'm super excited to have her here. She's the VP of Talent Strategy at CareSource, but I'm probably underselling your intro. Nicole, why don't you tell the audience who you are, a little bit about yourself, the company you work for, throw a little sizzle on what I gave for your intro. I work for CareSource. CareSource is a managed care organization. We provide Medicare, Medicaid, and marketplace insurance in multiple states across the country. We have about 2 million members. We're one of the largest uh, managed care organizations in the nation. And we're headquartered here in Ohio. I'm in Ohio for those of listeners that live in the Midwest. Go Bucks. And my role, I'm actually interim VP talent strategy. And we're currently in a major reorg in our organization. But I lead our talent management, our talent development, and in the interim, I'm leading our talent acquisition team. So it's all of our talent teams that are responsible for attracting, developing, retaining our employees. Got it. Awesome. And yeah, shout out to the Midwest. I'm in Indianapolis. Don't know if you knew that. Semi down the street, but I can say go Bucks from time to time. Yeah. <laughs> are you kind of born and raised Midwest? I was born in Ohio, actually. I've lived in about six other states, all the way from California. I lived out in LA for a while and North Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee. But Ohio is my home. I moved back yeah. home about 15 years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago now. Gotcha. So you've seen all the different facets of America, it sounds like. <laughs> yes. I have been open to travel in my career. I have enjoyed it. Nice. Nice. So you mentioned you guys are going through a reorg which means you're taking on more hats than maybe before. To my understanding, your background is more talent management side, right? And kind of managing talent, making sure they stay here, grow here. 
Talk to me about adding talent acquisition in for this period of time. What's that been like? Has it been a learning process? Has it been a, I don't like this process? What's it been like for you? No, I think that the talent acquisition piece is really important. In my past life and other roles, I've managed recruiting, but from a different perspective, right? So it's not just the traditional recruiting. We do have recruiters, but it's also about employment strategy. So a lot of my experience in the talent acquisition space has been around building pipeline programs, both internally and externally, finding the right talent and potentially even building those from high school, technical programs, college, or our communities. And so in this role, as I'm helping in talent acquisition, we have the employment strategy piece. What are we doing so that we're attracting the right folks to our website, let alone to our company? And what makes us competitive where people will choose us over any other organization, especially our competitors in managed care? But of course, we can't always build that talent or what we call buy the talent, find the talent in the marketplace, we often focus on building the talent. And so my primary expertise and what I really enjoy doing is that talent management piece. And that is, how do we develop people? How do I identify what people's skills, their interests, their opportunities are? And how do we as an organization tap into that? And so talent acquisition is about bringing people in from the outside and filling our roles But there's a large piece of it that also building a pipeline, and if we can do that internally. So that's the reason why my role right now in the interim space and even going forward has a bit of all of that, because it's about employment strategy and workforce development, whether that's internal or external. I love that. So at the end of the day, it's like, hey, this is about filling the seat. Yes. We could do that inside or we could do that outside. Yes. Is it one of those things where you find when you're building a great internal strategy. Are your talent acquisition teams now kind of more reliant on the internal pipeline than they used to be? Or do you keep them really focused on external only? I don't know if it's about reliant or not, because our talent acquisition team, a great recruiter wants to find the best candidate. And ideally, they don't care whether it's internal or external. Obviously, if it's internal, they already know the culture. They know a lot about the organization, the business. And I say that every day at work is a job interview. So if I'm applying internally, people already know me. So it's easier, a little bit easier for the recruiter to support our internal applicants than external. You don't always know what you're getting externally, but you definitely know when you have an employee internally. So I think it's not necessarily better or preferred for our recruiters because their ultimate goal is always to find the best talent And of course, if we can find it internally, often that turns that role over quicker and we've got someone working quicker. And when you're internal, because you know the culture, you know the systems, you know that your onboarding is accelerated because you're really focused on the job itself, not the organization or the culture, which is is a big part of onboarding when you come new from outside of an organization. For sure. Yeah, it makes me think, like, is the hiring process significantly different if you're internal versus external? Or do you try to keep those the same? Well, we definitely want a standard because we want to treat everyone the same. But I think for the candidate, it feels different when you're internal because you have been showing up the best way you can up to that point. And now I'm being really looked at 
and being compared to both internal, external, and others. And so it feels different. I think when you're internal, we try and make sure we're communicating better. Because sometimes if you have 100 applicants for a role, it's really hard for a recruiter to keep up with all of that. And so we can have a special eye to the internal. We want to treat our internals. I wouldn't say better because that's not the right word, but more thoughtfully, right? We don't want them to sit and wait several months till they hear anything, even if they're not getting an interview, right? We want to communicate. And then I think the other piece that's a benefit that's a little bit different with interviewing, selected or not selected for the role, I think both the hiring manager and the recruiter are better at giving feedback. There's nothing worse than going for a job and waiting and waiting and waiting one for another interview or feedback. So try and pay particular attention to that, especially for our internal candidates, because often if you don't get a job, it doesn't mean you're not great. It just means that you found someone else that fit better. Yeah, honestly, that's got to be tough because I can imagine the feelings of being internal and not getting selected. You have a risk there. Now it's like, oh, well, they don't want me here. Like, no, we do want you here. You just didn't get chosen for this role, right? And it doesn't feel good when you're not chosen for whatever, even if you're on a baseball team and you're not chosen. It doesn't feel good. So the more we communicate, the better you're able to understand the thinking. My focus is that mobility approach. What's our strategy to help people look for opportunities? And opportunities are not always promotions, right? It's lateral. It's learning a new part of the business. It's having a broader scope and looking for people to move into roles that are not just a promotion. And those really open a lot of doors for folks. And when we know our talent internally, it's easier to move people like someone who has a clinical background, but wants to learn more about operations or has an operations background, but maybe they are a nurse. They just never practiced uh, clinically, right? How do we move folks around and give them different exposure within the organization? It really helps to build culture. That's strong. (laughs) You don't hear that often because a lot of times it's internal. I think of internal. I think of uh, the only way is up this path that I've already had set. So that's really cool. Really cool. So maybe help the audience orient around what kind of talent CareSource is bringing in. I know it's a big company. It's a little bit broad, but maybe there's like an area like majority of the people we hire usually around like this kind of talent. For example, a technology company like myself, we might be hiring engineering talent a lot. What's like the areas that you guys hire a lot of? Well, one of the best parts about CareSource is that because we're a managed care organization, we have an IT team. So we'll be hiring IT roles. We have a customer service. So those are the people that answer the phone to, for our members to ask questions. We have a large customer care team. We have a clinical team. Those are the folks that actually go into homes or into the communities and support our members and help folks in our different programs that we have, as well as navigate the healthcare system. And that's not easy to do. So we have clinical staff. And then, of course, we have operations people and business development folks. Those are folks that are in our communities or in the market. They're looking to make sure that we are compliant with federal and state laws in which we live and work and that we're looking for new business. We always want to see what is a market that we should be in, or is there a new product working with individuals who need long-term services or support or who have complex health 
or maybe who have chronic illness, complex illness, or behavioral health. How can we help folks navigate? But as an organization, where do we want to focus? So we don't really hire any one particular role because we provide such a broad range of services. So there's a lot of opportunity for a lot of different skill sets in our organization. Super cool. I didn't realize that you guys were going in the home. Like I, I at one point had a care source card. So I was like, there yeah, you go. definitely, you know, had this. So I didn't know that there was actually care provided. So that's really cool. I mean, there's a lot of families who need support. A lot of folks who may be in the foster system or have some intellectual developmental disability. So it's not just Medicaid in the way that I have a lower income and therefore I don't have insurance with my job or I don't have a job, right? There's such a range of folks who navigate Medicare, Medicaid, and with a growing marketplace, that's the insurance for those who maybe have their own business or a contractor and they're buying into our federal program. Everybody has different needs. And so we do support our members. We help with finding homes and education and their substance use, either in the past or currently, right? We really want to make sure that our members have their whole self. And that's one of the things I think that makes CareSource great. And so that's why we do go in the homes to support families and individuals. That's awesome. I feel like you carry the brand of CareSource, the care part of it really well. I can hear it through the way you talk about talent too. So my question is kind of rewinding back to the early days of your career. You started off in academia. I'll call it academia. Yes. Higher ed, right? Mm -hmm. You can walk me through the whole journey of how we got here. It's a challenge, but a fun journey, it sounds like. All of our journeys have ebb and flows, and I always believe on being open to any door that comes in front of us. And I think one of the things, you know, the reason why I like the talent management, the talent development piece is even for my own journey. There are people invested in me throughout my career, and there are people I'm like, oh, you're smart. I want to learn more about you. And those are the same people that have opened those doors for me and invited me to participate. So I was in academia. I actually, in my first life, I was a dental hygienist and I started teaching in health science. And then I became an academic chair in multiple health science programs. And then I started jumping into development, faculty development, student development, How do we help people build the skills they need to be successful in their career and education? And then I had the opportunity to partner with our HR director at the college that I was working. And it was really about identifying the best talent to grow our college and work together with our HR director and our president at the time to look at who we were hiring, what we needed what kind of skills we needed so that the students would have the best experience. And what was so smart about that was if you hire the right people who are managing the people who are caring for our members in the case of CareSource or students when I was in academia, we have better business outcomes. Because, you know, if if your manager is good and you like your manager, you're going to work harder. If you feel like the company cares about you, you're going to stay. So that's how I started. I just started working on talent development, talent assessment, helping with workforce planning. And then I had the opportunity to start consulting and it turned into a business. I consulted for about eight years 
working with organizations who were transitioning their HR function. So if you imagine back 25 years ago, HR was payroll, benefits, employee complaints. And then over the last 25 years, now we look at employee experience. What are, how are we developing people, not just managing their performance? And so I, I was consulting with multiple organizations that were looking to transition and restructure their HR function to be more uh, employee-centric. And then my kids became teenagers, and I had the opportunity to take a role in a healthcare organization who was restructuring and growing. It was all about acquisition and growth for an organization here in Ohio, a large health system in Ohio. And so I've been in healthcare ever since. I settled down, but that contracting, the consulting was my bridge between academia and healthcare. Got it. Are you still doing? the consulting business? I do do some consulting on the side, but it's not my bread and butter. It's what I do for fun. Gotcha. I own a company called ThinkWell Coaching and Consulting, and we focus on actually professional women, helping them. So I provide leadership and executive coaching, and we also do some retreats. But that's on the side. That's not my primary role. I just do that for fun on the side, and it's also another way to impact people's lives. That's awesome. It's surprising what the path was, but it makes it like so much sense when you hear it out loud. And also, I swear this is true for everybody in talent, it seems, which is, I'm guessing you didn't study HR in college, but I could be wrong. And then also you kind of fell into it, right? So that's wild. (laughs) I think the common path to HR is very varied because HR roles can look different in every single organization, you know, small or large or international or domestic or, you know, local. HR looks so different. So often we get tapped to do different things because of, you know, our ability to engage with people or our knowledge of benefits. And then next thing you know, it becomes more and more. At one point I managed HRIS team and did electronic medical records implementation for our system. I am not an IT person. I am not a system analyst, but I had some (laughs) wonderful people working for me and we were in HR. So, you know, I think a lot of people who come to HR didn't necessarily get their degree, although there are quite a few of folks of my peers who have a degree in HR. I can tell you firsthand, I never thought I'd be involved in talent acquisition. So I'm on the company, the vendor side, as you'd call it, but still didn't think that this would be my path. And I'm, you know, there's great people here. And I think that's probably the commonality is it's great people trying to bring great people places. So talk to me about maybe some of the challenges. It sounds like you've been this restructure expert. <laughs> like yeah, everywhere I, you've been, it's like some sort of restructuring. It does seem like that. Yes. <laughs> is that on accident or is that on purpose? Well, I love it. I think I'm good at it. So being attracted to it might not be an accident, but because I've done it so much, people who know me say, hey, we need you over here. So it's been just part of my career. But I also think that business has evolved over the last 20, 25 years, which is the majority of my career. And so with it, you know, technology evolution, and it's funny, I tell my kids, they can't even imagine when I started in the workplace, we didn't have the internet, right? And so just 
evolution. And now we're seeing AI. How is that going to change the workplace? The pandemic changed the work. Like, we don't just come to work and work hard. And my parents, who are in their 70s, 80s, you just went to your work and you did that for 35 years, right? People now, they may stay in their role for three years and they have to have a reason. And so that's where development becomes even more important to keep people. People are always looking to do something new or different. So I wouldn't say it's by design for my career, but it's been an opportunity because organizations just have evolved. And I've been fortunate to be in organizations who look to evolve. Right. And you mentioned something really interesting, like the switch from, you know, my dad, for example, worked at one company for 20 years. I'm like, man, I, you know, I don't know if that's ever going to be my story. No. So when you think about talent, do you accept the reality that the chances of someone staying three years, regardless of what I do is slim? And you start to think, okay, I just need to have pipeline for that role because it's going to inevitably be open. Do you focus more effort there or do you focus more effort on, I think we can break the norm and keep people here for more than three to five years? I think that's the mobility answer to have a strategy around mobility, because I think people have six to seven major career moves in their lifetime. And I said, why can't three or four be in the same organization? And so if we know our talent, if we're supporting our talent and we're letting people move up and over. And I think that's what our generation of workers, and I'm in my 50s, so I'm going to say 30 and under, they want to do different things. It's not about leaving the company. It's about being stretched. It's about being challenged. It's about learning new things. And so if a company can provide that, people will stay more than three to five years. They may not want to stay in the same role for more than three to five years. But if we're challenging them, if they're moving around, if they're taking on different scopes or responsibilities, then they very well may. And then they actually become more valuable because they've done so much different work within the organization. So they become even more valuable to us, but also to other companies. Right. (laughs) There's a challenge. And they're like, oh, you worked in these four places and managed care. Come over here. We need your expertise. And then, yeah, they get that promotional opportunity. Yeah. So it's almost, there is that quote, though. It's something like treat your employees so well that they could leave, but they don't want to kind of deal. Yeah. And I also say treat them so well that they want to come back or they will refer their friends even after they leave. Because sometimes there's not always a promotion available and somebody's ready. And there might be some amazing opportunity, I think, in our lives you know, different salaries and different opportunities come in front of us and we might take them. But I don't want you to leave because you don't like it here. I don't want you to leave because you didn't feel like you were cared for or invested in because you might have some great friends that I want to hire that could contribute to our company's outcomes or go over there and get your manager experience. And now I have a role open, whether it be a manager or a director or some other role and come back. Because we miss you as much as you missed us, even if we didn't have that promotion opportunity for you today. Exactly. So talk to me about the general makeup of your town acquisition team. How's that built out for you guys? We have several members on the team that are employment. Well, we have one person that focuses on employment strategy. And it's like, how do we okay. show up in LinkedIn? What career fairs and job fairs do we go to? So that's about the talent attraction piece. 
We have uh, a number of recruiters on the team. And then we have the specialists who do most of the admin kind of onboarding paperwork. And then our team is split with a couple of managers and they're looking to fill the director role. That's the reason why I'm hanging out in this interim space. Gotcha. They're filling that director role soon. And then we also have an executive recruiter. So someone that really focuses on our most senior level roles, our vice presidents or some of our executive roles. So it's a pretty good sized team of recruiters and employment strategists. Gotcha. Are the recruiters broken out by the job groups that you mentioned earlier, or does everyone touch everything? They are broken out. So they're assigned to an area of the business. They really get to know their leaders in that area of business. They know the more they learn about the business. So a recruiter in IT really needs to understand those IT jobs what they're looking mm-hmm. for, it's very different than a recruiter in the clinical setting. And so, yeah, they are assigned. They get to know their leaders. And we are aligning those with our business partners. So the business partners are key members of HR that work really closely with our business leaders. And so if we have our recruiters and the business partners kind of forming a triad with that business leader, then they work together to know the talent, to fill the roles that. So what are some of the like tactical challenges that you've maybe just heard about in this interim time? Like what do you see as areas where CareSource stands to improve? Because I feel like every company always has a chance, right? We're never perfect. So where do you see opportunities to improve? And then we'll flip it and we'll talk about where you guys are killing it. Yeah. One of the things we've been focused on, we set a goal, a corporate goal around retention last year. And our corporate goal this year is around mobility. So we really had an all hands on deck with how do we, what do we need to do to retain folks? And then what do we need to do to purposefully move people throughout the organization? And I think what's been highlighted in that effort is we need to continue to get better around data management, right? How do we really know our people, know their skills, know their resumes, And I think that's been an area that we've been really focused on is our data management and our talent data specifically. What are our people analytics? I think a lot of companies are focused in that space, but because we've had such a thoughtful look at retaining, promoting, and moving talent, it's just highlighted our need to get better at managing our people data. Gotcha. And the flip side, where are you guys best in the world with confidence, you know? In the talent space, I would say we are really good at growing within. I think our focus, even before our corporate mobility goal this year, it's been really about knowing our people. And we've been growing as a company, moving into new markets with a focus on growth as a company. And so being thoughtful about who our people are and how we can move people around and What talent do we need to be successful in new areas of business or new states? That's something we're really good at. And I will also add one thing that we're really focused on. I don't know if we're, I wouldn't say we're good at it. I wouldn't say it's a challenge, is diversity. I think we have, especially in our current days and times, really wanted to be thoughtful about who our leaders are. 
who our employees are. What do they look like? What skills and experiences do they bring to the table? And do we have a mixture of skills, experience, age, gender, you know, ethnicity in the conversation? And I think that's been something, you know, when I say something we've done well, it's a part of our conversation. It's a part of our thoughtfulness as we are looking at the talent that we're attracting and growing and moving around. Could we do better? Oh, yeah, we could do a whole lot better. Healthcare in general is not as diverse as it should be, but I think being thoughtful about you know what that looks like is really important for us. I'm glad to hear that as a top priority. I mean, everyone says it, but you, I feel like, have the plans behind it just from hearing the whole conversation. We're trying our best. Having the conversation is the hardest part. That's true. And even the simplest, like what I hear, who our leaders are, that's a big one for me. I'm like, okay, they at least get that part, right? Because everyone's like... That's a big one. Yeah. Usually people focus on like, let's let's source from diverse areas and, you know, those things like that. But like starting from the top of the company, how diverse are we? Because that's where it's it just a trickle down effect. It really is. And you need people at every level in all levels of decision making. Because if there was just a bunch of people like me, which, you know, there's very, very seldom a room of people that look or talk like me or have my experience. But if there was a bunch of Nicoles in the room, we would be making decisions that don't necessarily fit the general public. And so I think that's why it's important to have diversity at all levels in all ways, right? Not just ethnicity. We often think about race. That's the most visible but age and gender and experience, right, all make a difference to how we make decisions for our organization. So true. So we're moving towards the end of our time. And one of the things we like to do is a question of the week. So the question of the week is something that you get the first pass at, but it's actually for our audience to get involved as well. And so I'm going to tell you your question of the week. And then you get first pass and I'll tell the audience how to how to do it. So you mentioned this earlier, so I'm excited to hear your answer. But is AI relevant to your work? If so, how have you used it to help your day to day? AI is relevant to our work. I think we're looking at AI because a lot of organizations and systems have jumped into it. We hear chat GPT all the time, but <laughs> AI has been around for a very long time. Just our phones are built on AI. The reason why at some point today, my phone will say something about something I talked about sometime today. (laughs) AI is all around us. And that same thing happens in recruiting. There are within our systems, we can build and use AI to source. So when we get 100 resumes, we can source keywords and they can pull resumes. We can use AI even for communication and development and alignment of our strategy things that we wouldn't normally think of. How are we looking at our talent in a way that is potentially less bias? Equally, AI can introduce bias that we don't even realize because like our phones, we're going to get the same thing we look for and we just get more of it. And that's what AI does. So, you know, there's opportunities for us to really use it, but in HR, because we're dealing with people, we have to be really thoughtful about how we're using it. I'm not one that supports 
hiring assessments, personality assessments with hiring, because who I am today is not who I am tomorrow. Who I am at work is not who I am at home. So AI can define Nicole, which might be a, they might be like, oh, Nicole talks fast and, you know, I move fast and I manage a lot on my plate at one time. But is that really a bad thing? And so if we're relying on AI or an assessment to tell us something, we just have to make sure that it's not telling us what we're looking for, because that's one of the downfalls of AI. But it does make our lives quicker, easier, simpler at the same time. Good answer. Good answer. (laughs) If you're listening to this, you can take part in that question. It's going to be in the description below. And if you give a great answer, it might end up on an episode and we'll play it for the audience that's listening and on that episode and you yourself will get a reward for that. So definitely take part in that. But with that, Nicole, this has been awesome. I hope that you've enjoyed this as much as I have. I've learned a ton just from this short 30 minutes. And so want to give the audience a chance to connect with you. What would be your preferred way for people to learn about you and keep up with you? Look for me on LinkedIn. It's easy to find my name, Nicole with an H and two O's in the last name, Nicole Ukama. So I really love for people to connect with me on LinkedIn. It's an easy way to find me and I can answer questions about anything you're looking for or provide you uh, my ear or my opinion because I have a lot of those. So (laughs) LinkedIn is the best way to get me. Awesome. Well, everyone do that. Definitely connect with Nicole. She's got lots to share and I'm sure we didn't get to unpack it all here. But if you saw value in this episode, make sure to hit the subscribe button so that you can never miss a beat. And we'll be back with more episodes to come. Thanks so much. Thanks, Devin.